Uh, let me add my welcome to the Lord of Andes. If we haven't met before, my name's Tom, part of the, the church family here, and it's my pri- privilege and pleasure to help us think through some of those readings that Maudie's read to us. Uh, before we do that, let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for its relevance to us today. And ask tonight that you would please speak to us through it. Uh, would your spirit be at work in our hearts and our minds and our lives to remind us of who you are and help us to celebrate that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it would be really helpful for me if you can keep your Bibles open at Psalm 103 to make sure that what I'm saying is what God has said. And you should also have one of these little bits of paper which give you some headings, tell you a bit of where we're going. If that's helpful to make notes, then use that. If it's not, then by all means put it aside. But I wonder if, if you like reading newspapers, if you, you like keeping up to date with what's going on in the world. Uh, you might have seen or you might have missed a story from earlier on this year. It was in the Telegraph, 17th of January, titled, A forgetful motorist angered his wife when he accidentally left her at a petrol station and drove away with their teenage son. Uh, the man only identified as Walter was driving home from a holiday when he made what the journalist describes as an unfortunate error. He'd gone to the toilet after filling up the car. His wife had been asleep in the back, woke up, thought she fancied some donuts. So she went inside to to buy some donuts, came back, and uh, he'd driven off. The couple's 14-year-old son had been in the car too, but he hadn't noticed his mum was missing because he was too busy playing on his phone. Reports say the absent-minded husband drove for about 60 miles before he realised and then drove back. Uh, A traffic officer uh, reported that the wife was so unimpressed when he eventually returned two hours later, and she showed exactly what she thought of the situation by kicking the car. What about, there's uh, another story, this time from 2013, about a German couple whose marriage got off to a slightly rocky start when the groom left his bride behind at a petrol station on their way home from honeymoon. Uh, They'd been holidaying in France, travelling back to Berlin... Um, again, husband pulled over, filled up with petrol. His wife had been asleep in the seat next to him. She woke up, decided to go inside, get something to eat. Uh, he didn't realise, so drove off in the van. As if that weren't bad enough, uh, he didn't realise she'd been gone for two and a half hours. Well, let me introduce you as well to a friend of mine tonight. This is, this is Gary. Gary, uh, he's going to be my little sermon prop. He's, he's, he's going to sit around. He's just quite helpful. Because scientists for Time Magazine and Microsoft have done some research uh, this year. In 2000, uh, the average attention span of an adult was 12 seconds. 2016, we're down to eight. The goldfish, Gary here, has got an attention span of nine seconds. Even so, that's not something to be, to be hugely proud of. He's not, he's not moving. The water's moving. The goldfish is definitely not moving. Eight seconds is our attention span. So that means if you were engaged at the beginning, you might have switched off already because I've been going for eight seconds. Time to come back in. If you find yourself being distracted, have a little look at Gary. Let him remind you to, to get back on the plane and to, to pick up again. But I wonder how quickly we forget, how quickly I forget. I've not left my wife at a petrol station before, but I've... I've certainly forgotten her birthday, 
uh, and other things. Um, but more than that, I can, I can forget anything. I can forget your name. I can forget who my God is too. I can forget how good he is. I can forget just what he's like. And so the first message of this psalm, I think, is, is don't be a goldfish. You'll see that's the first heading. Don't be a goldfish. Let's pick up right at the beginning. Where David will say, praise the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So, David, the author, is writing to the Israelites uh, about two and a half thousand years ago. And he's telling them to remember who their God is. Don't forget. They've been taken out of Egypt. They've been rescued. They've been through the Exodus. Now life's a little bit more comfortable for them. And, well, they're tempted to forget just who their God is and what he's done for them. His works throughout the history of their redemption. His creation, that it works in their lives individually. Friends, if we're capable of forgetting our new bride at a service station, we need to be reminded to remember these things about our God as well. So don't be a goldfish, first of all. But don't be a goldfish, but remember your God. Did you see what David said in verse 2? Look down at that again. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Do not forget him. Do not forget all of his good things, all of his benefits. Because he is a good, good father to his people. If you cast your eyes down the next couple of verses, there's a, a number of words that David uses. Who is our Lord? Well, verse 3 is one who forgives, who heals, who redeems, who crowns, who satisfies, who works righteousness and justice, who makes his ways known. For the Israelite first, first hearing this, they're to remember who their God is, to remember what it's like. They've seen him act for their good. They've seen him rescue them. But now life's easier. They're not to forget. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. They've been, they've been told what their God is like. They don't need to guess, wandering around in the darkness, wondering what on earth he is like, what he expects from them. Moses is the one who's been given the Ten Commandments, God telling his people how they should live before him. They've been told. And that makes them radically different from all the nations around them with their myriads of gods who they've got no idea what to do. God's people have been told exactly what their God is like. They've been told what he requires. They've been given this covenantal relationship. And so David will write, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. There's so many details in in this psalm. We'll we'll skim over some of them, but we'll pick up on a few. Verse 3, who heals, sorry, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. This is the God who doesn't just deal with our problem of sin, but also with its consequences. Who crowns us with love, verse 4. Who redeems us from this pity and exalts us to royalty. We're given a status we don't deserve because of his goodness. Well, verse 5. Who satisfies your desires with good things. I wonder if we imbibe the culture of secularism so much that we often just 
gloss over these words as nice platitudes. We often live like people who believe our lives are subject to no more than whims of blind, indiscriminate fortune. Or or maybe we're so keen to avoid anything that sounds like a a health and a wealth gospel that we ignore so many of God's promises in his word. Well, Well, David's not content to do that. He unashamedly will bless the Lord for all his benefits. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, I'm I'm a student at the moment. The advantage of that is that I have an eight, nine-month summer holidays. And I've I've been able to use some of that to do some reading. I've been reading one of the great reformers this week, a guy called John Calvin. And he wrote something on this that I'd like to share. He said that God clearly shows himself as the protector and the vindicator of innocence. While he prospers the life of good men with his blessing, he relieves their need, he soothes and mitigates their pain and alleviates their calamities. And in all these things, he provides supremely for their salvation. Indeed, the unfailing rule of his righteousness ought not to be obscured, while he sometimes permits the upright to be tossed around by adversities. In the words of verse 13, he is a good Good father. He's like a father to us. A good, good father. And yet how easily we forget this. How quick we are to assume the worst. To look at the world around us and forget the God who reigns over it. And I wonder today as you you come to St. John's, as we we sit here together, uh, when is it that you need to remember your God? When is it that you're tempted to forget who he is and what he's like? What are the situations in life, at work, at home, on the football pitch, wherever that is, what are the situations that cause you to question who he is and what he's like? Well, the call here is, friends, don't be a goldfish, but remember your God. Secondly, don't be a goldfish, but recognize yourself. In verses 9 to 16. Because this psalm is about who God is, but it's also about who we are, about who I am and who you are. And there's a stark contrast presented between the faithfulness of God and the faithlessness of his people. We saw in the first eight verses that God is described as one who forgives and heals and redeems and crowns, who satisfies us. In the words of verses 10 to 12, we're a people of sins and iniquities and transgressions. A people who forget God's laws, who deliberately bend and twist them with willful acts of disobedience. That's what those terms mean. It's a sobering assessment of the human condition from a, a God's eye point of view. For he knows how we are formed, verse 14. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. So God expects godliness from his people, but he also remembers us. He remembers, verse 14, that we are dust, a frail people. Hannah lent me something from Andy's wallet earlier. 
which reminds us of this. It's us. A people who are here today, gone tomorrow. A people of dust is God's reminder of ourselves. And so the language here is emphatic. He knows. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows us even better than ourselves, and despite that, he is a good, good father to his people. I don't know if you, you like to think of yourself as being like dust. It's not the normal image I try to present to my friends and my family, my, my mates at the rugby club. No, to them, I'm, you know, I'm, I can do anything, can't I? I'm very capable of looking after myself in this world. I'm going to leave a long legacy. I'm, I'm fine. I do everything I can to present myself as someone who can, is holding themselves together, is, is strong and competent, and yet God's assessment of me, a man of dust, here today, gone tomorrow. I don't like to think of myself like that. I do all I can to avoid looking like that. The, the book of James will put it a slightly different way. He'll talk of a man who looks at himself in the mirror, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's like Gary here. Looks at himself in his reflection, goes for a swim for eight, nine seconds and immediately turns around and is surprised that he's orange. He's, he looks in his reflection and there's a surprise he's forgotten. It's how easily we forget what we are like. So friends, don't be like Gary. Don't be a goldfish. But remember your God and recognize yourself. But thirdly, don't be a goldfish, but respond to your Savior. That's our final heading, verses 17 to 22. And as we read this, I guess we want to recognize that we're, we're not Israelites. We're not the people this psalm, this song was first written down for. We're a different audience. David and his people trusted God, that God would be faithful to his promises in verses 10 to 13. That he wouldn't always accuse or harbour his anger, that he wouldn't treat them as their sins deserve or repay them according to their iniquities. David trusted that God would be faithful to those promises, but he didn't see it fulfilled in his lifetime. As we sit here today in 2016, we we live in a different time when God has been faithful to these promises. We have seen them fulfilled. Because these promises anticipated the gift of God in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so as we read this today, we want to remember our Saviour. Christ has kept the covenant of verse 18 for us. He's obeyed all of the precepts and commandments... And he's done it for a people of dust, full of sin and iniquity and transgression. That second reading from from Hebrews was kind of helpfully links those two thoughts up for us. Day after day, every priest stands to perform his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that is Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice of sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
So the Holy Spirit also says, This is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my law in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. In the words of this psalm, as far as the east is from the west, as as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far has he kept those promises. So I wonder when we truly recognize ourselves, we truly see and recognize our Savior as well. And when we recognize our Savior, we must respond, friends. Just like David did when he promised, he trusted these promises two and a half thousand years ago. And his call to respond is summed up by those last words. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And I wonder what, would it, what could it look like for us to respond to our Saviour as we, we sit here on a lovely summer's evening. One author who writes on the Psalms said that the Psalms are God's prescription for an often complacent church. Because in them he reveals how great and wonderful and magnificent and wise and utterly awe-inspiring he is. If God's people before Jesus, before the Incarnation, could have such faith in the Lord, how much more should that be true amongst 21st century Christians? So friends, we too, we too are called to remember and respond who our God is and what he has done. And I've been, I've been sitting at my desk this week and I've kind of been wrestling with what the heck does it look like for us to praise the Lord with all our soul? I mean, what does that, what does that actually look like in practice? And I think something that's, that's been helpful is, I don't know if you can remember back to uh, being taught maths at school. Uh, for some of you that was slightly longer ago. But, but think back. And one of the things I was, was always taught is, is don't just give me the answer, but show you're working. Don't just tell me the answer is 27, but show me how you've got there. And I think that's partly what it looks like to, to praise the Lord with all our soul. It's one of the reasons I think we say grace before meals than that. Because we recognize that it's not just Asda or Waitrose or M&S that's provided us with that food, but ultimately, ultimately it's the Lord and his goodness. And so we want to thank him. And so all of those other ways we see the Lord working for good in our lives, then we want to articulate that. We want to process that through, not just to be a silent process inside my brain, but for me to encourage my wife Claire to help us both remember who our God is and the good things he's done. At work, for me to process some of that and not just silently engage with it and let my unbelieving friends or colleagues think it just the whims of, of the world. But to show our working is how good our God is. Well, let us work that out with our children, with our friends, with our neighbours, with our housemates, with our spouses. And I wonder, do you, do you hesitate in obeying God? Are you anxious about the future, afraid of making a godly choice or holding back from trusting him fully with your career or your children? Well, don't be a goldfish, friends, but remember your God, who he is and what he's done. Or maybe it's slightly, slightly different. 
Do you, do you believe, verse 3, that God is one who forgives all of your sins? That they're as far apart as the east is from the west? Or is that niggling bit of guilt and doubt just hanging on in there? Well, friends, remember your God and what he has done. It's the God you believe in, the God of this psalm, who forgives and heals and redeems and crowns and satisfies. It's the saviour you hope in, the the same one who brings these promises to completion. Or maybe you're, you're here tonight and you wouldn't call yourselves a Christian. Well, let me suggest that this is, this is a God worth knowing. If this is true, then this is a God worth knowing. In fact, this is a God you ought to know because he is such a good, good father. He heals, he forgives, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies. Friends, this is a God worthy of our attention. And say, David will write, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Friends, don't be a goldfish. But as we sit here tonight, as we go tomorrow, don't be a goldfish, but remember your God. As we close, let me pray. And then we're going to sing a song that echoes part of what we've just thought about. This psalm was originally written as a song that the Israelites would sing. All those years ago, and so it seems fitting that we do something similar. Would it help us remember our God, recognize ourselves, and respond to our Savior? So let me pray, and then we will stand to sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for all of your benefits to your people. That you are not a God who sits far off and aloof and forgets about us who leaves us to our own whims, but who works for good in this world, who is a good, good father to his people. And we don't need to struggle in the dark to find out who you are. And so please, would you help us to recognize that and to respond to it, to remember who you are. And would that give us great hope and confidence and trust for the future, to look back and thank you for what you've done and look forward and trust you for what you will do. Father, help us not to be goldfish, but to remember you as our God and our Saviour and our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.